Feeling tired at the gaming table? Want to hear foul-mouthed jackasses poke fun at gaming companies when they screw up? Want an honest, street-level opinion from a team of gamers that call it like it is? Then Blunt Force Gamers may be the podcast for you. Listener discretion advised. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and gamers of all ages, it is us. Those guys with microphones. Back to probe your ear holes again. Yes, ear hole probing shall commence. I am your host, Game Goblin, sitting alongside two of my three compatriots. The moniker, hello. And our blasphemous hail to the dark side. And I've only got to say, as we introduce this campaign, and we start talking about nice, cool, crisp water, screw summer. Mm-hmm. This is not my season. But this uh, episode, we're getting nautical. Very nautical. Very naughty. 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 It's naughty, but it's cool. Naughty <laughs> cool. Uh, so, strap on your tricorns, get your cannons ready, and your black powder guns as we go delving for treasure in campaigns involving the high seas. <laughs> and yes, to all you band geeks out there, we get it, you can do a high sea musically. <laughs> but anyways, we're talking the pirate campaigns, nautical and aquatic. Mm-hmm. And aquatic. Because what's better than being on the high seas? Being in them because they're nice and cool with this fucking heat. Yes. Mm-hmm. Indeed. So the first thing you're going to need in the nautical campaign is a viable ship or transport. I would suggest personally the Spanish Galleon. Uh, it takes too much of a crew. I'd say more of a sloop. I was going to go sloop myself. Alright, fine. Go with the sloop. I mean, I mean, hey, a go Spanish galleon—that's what, eight hundred people. Eight hundred people, and as I recall, it's very offensive to your people. Why? Uh, because three of them showed up one day magically, and people just stopped sacrificing to the sun god. No, no, it took a lot longer than that, and this fucker named Cortez. But hey, then they stopped slaughtering my other ancestors who were living farther north. Yeah, true. True. <laughs> true. Just saying. Well, we can all blame this on uh, Lady Six Sky for her involvement in making shit go sideways anyway. Yeah. Yeah. But history aside, hybrid campaigns, boats are primary. Whether you've got a single-man dinghy or a canoe all the way up through having a six-masted galleon. Or a crew of 20 men who are all sleeping as the boat drifts aimlessly through the uh, seas of brown Norway going... When are we going to turn England into our own personal 7-Eleven? <laughs> yep. Yes. Good old hairy pants. Yeah. What a guy. Old shaggy britches. Old shaggy britches. So the first thing you're going to need in the nautical campaign, obviously, is a crew. Well, this is where the player characters come involved. And you but, can definitely go through and curate what classes you want to allow. I mean, a swashbuckler, you would think, would be obvious. Ninja would be obvious. Mm. For running across water when they get enough uh, key points for it. Yeah. Because there's nothing like, you know, going, alright, we're gonna board that other ship over there, and one dude jumps overboard and just hauls ass. Just Leroy Jenkins. (laughs) Just Leroy Jenkins to the other boat. Like, I've got this! Well, then there's other stuff you kind of might not want to allow, such as a cavalier. Or a paladin. Well... A non-armored paladin, maybe? Because, to be honest, if you're in full plate and you go overboard by... Yeah. I ain't, go, I ain't going to try and save you. Yeah, so your class selection for a nautical campaign... Um, matters. It, it, yeah, totally matters. Because it's hard to bring a horse on ship to jump to another ship. And, you know, as much as people love them, when a gunslinger goes overboard or there's a wild storm brewing, your black powder suddenly becomes kind of useless. Mm-hmm. So, Gunslingers is one of those iffy parts if you're doing Pathfinder or uh, D&D high-tech stuff. Rogues, of course, are going to be your best buddy. Oh, yeah. Because once you plunder that other ship, you've got to get into that stuff and be like, Alright, we're committing video piracy. We've got to copy these, what, DVDs? No! 
Laser disc. Laser disc. Useless. Oh god, they're region locked. <laughs> FBI warning, I'm so scared. Wait, I mean, being a basic fighter or a monk are fine, or you can simply play it off as you have a nautical background. I played a battle host occultist that had a previous life as a pirate. He, that was what he did. And druid as a extremely viable replacement to a oh, wizard. Yeah. Uh, druids in a seafaring campaign are worth their weight in gold, not just from the fact that they can... Gold doubloons? Gold doubloons! Well, not only given the fact that they can shapeshift into other creatures of aquatic origin, but some of their spells, like Gust of Wind, can come in Life handy. Lifesaver. Lifesaver. Goodberry? Lifesaver. Mm -hmm. I just imagine, you know, just shooting the druid over in a cannon to the enemy's ship. And then him just transformed into like a fucking humpback. <laughs> Let me sing you the song of my people. <laughs> the whale cannon. <laughs> or if you get like a, uh, a hybrid. Who needs grape shot when you have that? Uh, you, can, you can hybrid <laughs> druid with magus. And then we, the magus transforms into an animal of some sort. He could be a narwhal. <laughs> oh my god. You can play nautical, you can play pirate darts. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's the he Jedi of the sea. <laughs> he has a rapier made out of uh, narwhal tusk. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Again, true story, and he's not here to defend himself this week. You may have noticed he wasn't on the introductions. Yeah, he's got another personal week. It's all good. We yeah, it's all good. But true story. Again, he was in a campaign where they did nautical. This is important for anybody who plays a seafaring campaign or a coastal campaign or river pirates in the Saskatchewan campaign. Take the swim skill. Oh, was that the one I was a part of, too? I think so. I know there was one where, like, nobody took the swim skill, the boat got capsized, and everybody drowned. No, I was not part of that one. Yeah, the boat capsized during their firefight, you know, because they got barraged with cannons. Their boat capsizes, and the GM's are like, alright, make swim skills, and nobody had it. I can just imagine the, cr the cricket chirp. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, everybody in the group drowned, except for, of course, the sailors they hired. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. So the NPCs lived, the players died. Yeah, that's something you Short gotta prepare game. for. You gotta think about that. If you're doing anything with lots of water events, having the ability to swim is great because it makes it easier. Otherwise, you're operating with, what, a negative, like, ten? And, of course, uh, there's other things to think about. I mean, we did equipment in our last episode, and, and for personal experience, I know this from jumping off a bridge. Yes, I'm that guy, you know, and they're... If all your friends jumped off a bridge with you, and I'm like, fuck it, and I jumped off. Like, I'll be first. <laughs> That's why he's the game goblin. I don't need friends to jump off a bridge, but I also learned, uh, equipment-wise, do not wear clothes, like, uh, pants that are tucked into your boots. And steel toe boots. No, no, steel toe boots I was not having a problem with, because, again, this is like the swim skill comes into play. If you're wearing clothes that will get bogged down by the water, it will increase your chances of drowning... So, of course, there's kind of like three rules you should use, and of course, since I live here uh, and take ferries, well, I used to take ferries uh, really frequently in our local area, my rules had... He means the boats. The boats. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, speaking of gaming, not those ferries. Yes, I would take the other ferries. Fuck you, We're ferry. We're talking about the boats. I'm going to fuck you right here in the strawberry patch. <laughs> no, no, the ferries that, you know, actually have cars on them and move across water. Uh, the rules are is your clothing should be loose-fitting, durable, and easy to remove. Yep. That way you have less water drag on your clothing, and the clothing that will drag you down or slow you in the water, you can get rid of within a matter of seconds. Which is why always in pirate movies or stuff, they have those big flowy shirts. Yep. Or in the romance novels, because it actually serves a purpose. Everything people do serves a purpose. There, yes, there are those who are... Oh, I'm going to be fashionable, but guess what? They, they're usually the first to die. Yep. Just saying. Yeah, it, it's, it, it's why when you know, ever you see pirates and shit, all their clothing so baggy. Like, <laughs> well, yeah, because uh, baggy clothing allows water to flow through it easier. And you can shed it easier. And you can shed it easier. So there's an orgy. If you need to, if you're playing a nautical campaign and your boat winds up moored ne nearby an island, you get attacked, your boat gets sunk... With easy to remove clothing, you may not uh, stay warm once you're on the island, but you will get to that island a lot easier. Mm -hmm. And I mean, there's a lot of things when it comes to 
a nautical campaign you want to keep an eye on. There's a reason you take your shoes off and you jump in to swim. It makes it easier for you to move your feet and actually direct walk. So I'm sorry, a big pair of boots, it is detrimental. Absolutely. That's why I have still got quick laces even to this day, is I can just pull the string and just tap on the back of my heel, my boots come off, and I'll be able to swim a lot easier. Yeah, and you think about other stuff, people are like, oh, I go around and I'm in full plate all the time. I sleep in my armor, rah, 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 rah. Push, and they're dead because I can't <laughs> swim in that. Heavy oh. armor in water is no. Which is why the only thing you would have, such as the conquistadores, my ancestors, you would have a breastplate and you would keep a knife right there so you can cut the strap. Yeah. Yeah. A breastplate would be challenging. Chainmail is enough to kill you. Well, you wouldn't take uh, the breast. You wouldn't wear the breastplate unless you're like being attacked and you're on the boat already. Yeah, or but you've if, made landfall. Yeah, if you make landfall, then you put it on. Otherwise, it stays in your little area. Absolutely, because that's the only use it is to you. That's why you saw pictures of them and they were wearing super frilly pants or whatever they were. That also kept ticks and shit off you when you made landfall. True that. The other thing that's important as far as skills go, and I've seen a massive lack of players take it, unless, um, you know, you can default, like if you're doing a Pathfinder or D&D D20, mm-hmm. take Profession Sailor. Oh, yeah. I that way, that if you don't have that vacation as a skill, you can still bullshit it. You're like, well, I'm a trained sailor. Oh, yeah. I would know to look for these things, you know, and how to use a sextant and compass. I know how to use a sail to direct the boat. I know where the fucking northern star is. Because <laughs> yeah. uh, you can, even if you don't have the swim skill, you can be like, I'm a fucking sailor, dude. Yeah. Why uh, am I not a Profession sailor, boat? yes. It, it's a catch-all. Absolutely. It you is, can usually bullshit it with most GMs. You, you can bullshit it. You're like, well, I'm just going to throw a dragnet. And the GM's like, well, make a survival skill. And you're like, well, I'm a sailor. We do this on the boat all the time. Eh. <laughs> I do. was a fisherman. I was a fisherman. Even a uh, profession fisherman would help. Yeah, profession fisherman would help. You know, take a skill that allows you, if nothing else, to bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> I can't believe I'm advocating for bullshitting, but yes, take a skill that advocates or uh, that it allows you to bullshit some of the skills that you would need while you're out on the water. Because remember, you cannot crit fail a skills check. You can't crit one anyways. You can't crit one anyways. So if you roll a one, if you've got a plus two because you're bullshit profession, that's a three. That's not a uber fail. <laughs> the other thing that's funny about it too is uh, you, you should learn at least the root basics for nautical terms. Because mm-hmm. like when the GM says, ah oh, yes, the enemy boat is coming at you uh, from the starboard side. And the guy goes, well I run to the left side of the boat. Uh, uh no dude. Pork side. That's the port. Or, you know, he says, oh, you know, you, what you're looking for is just right off the bow, and you run to the fucking stern. <laughs> and it's like, um, no, dude, you don't run to the back of the boat when he says it's on the port, you know, on the, on the port bow. So, if you want to be nice to your players, this is GM speak here, and you have a game area, and you say you have a pin board or a whiteboard, draw or put up a post, a little poster says the boat and what directions they are and then have a compass up there as well so you can point to it and say what does it say? <laughs> what does it say? I mean, you don't exactly need to know every terminology piece but just the root basics are Yeah, enough. the left is poor, right is starboard long, uh, five letters long word four letters, four letter word um, four and a half are real simple, knowing what a mast is because if you guys are playing a nautical game I'm sure it's going to play a lot into it yeah Absolutely. So, you know, knowing the root basics and actually knowing... If you're doing a fantasy setting, of course, knowing the root basics of, you know, what the different positions on the ship are, whether they're a deckhand, you know, navigator, whether they're up in the crow's nest, what different tasks people should be assigned to on that ship. So when somebody goes, oh, I got to talk to a random NPC X, you know, they might be really busy right now with the rigging. Really busy, depending on weather conditions. And you're not napping in the crow's nest. I hate it when people say that. Oh, yeah, napping in the crow's nest. No, that's not what that spot's for. And it's big enough for one person, not five. It's barely big enough for one person. It, it's like an overly large bucket, if you're lucky. If you're Otherwise, lucky. it's a piece of wood, and you can tie yourself to it. Yep. And it's very uncomfortable, because you have no shade. Mm-hmm. You are at the highest point on the goddamn ship. The other thing, too, uh, about nautical campaigns... 
I, oh, you want to say something? Oh, yeah, yeah, because yeah, we were talking about the crow's nest. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but historically, wasn't it almost it was almost like a bit of a punishment to go up there, wasn't it? It could be used as a punishment, but there were a lot worse things they could do to you. Yeah. Oh, yeah, sure. There were a lot worse things, but the well, crow's nest... Let's talk about keel hauling. <laughs> keel hauling is, like, the worst, but yeah. when it comes to the crow's nest, especially, like, in a wartime campaign, or if you're actually out exploring or doing stuff yeah. that requires a long visual range, you're basically the guy up in a tree. Yeah. So they would send the guy with the best long-range eyesight up there. Be like, oh yeah, we're you know we're expecting an island in the next half day. You put a guy up there who can you know see all the way to the freaking horizon clearly and make out yeah. shapes. I'm gonna put a pirate up up there who has two eye patches. A pirate with two eye patches in the crow's nest. <laughs> no, the other thing too. Where is it, blind beard? And we did mention this with druid, you know, that they are <laughs> lifesavers. But one thing that's uh, definitely. Uh, in my purview, different about a nautical campaign when you're out to sea or even out in like a Great Lake kind of scenario that's different than on land adventures is the weather can turn on a fucking dime. Yeah. Yep. Weather is... Minute, especially minutes. since you bring up like a Great Lake scenario. I mean, the actual Great Lakes we have here in America, I mean, they will fuck you. Like, yeah, or the will. inland seas, the Black Sea and such, yeah. the Caspian. The more shallow the waters, the more uh, kind of fucky things are going to get for you. Exactly. The I mean, more you're going to need them sea lakes. Yeah, there's more of a chance that you can run aground or the water's going to be like full of chop. And of course, when the weather does change, it changes on a dime. You know, we see this like, even on TV nowadays, you know, the crab boats and stuff where they're like, oh, it's a clear day. And the captain's like, no, it's not. Yar, <laughs> the sea, she be confused. The sea be confused. You know, there's actually, um, because I was looking up nautical terms for a while, the one I really liked, it's kind of fucked up, though, is if it was... I mean, in the Northwest, you guys have surely experienced it, you know, where it's, like, pouring rain, but it's also beautiful and sunny out. Yep, we that, have, have that. A real old-school sailor term for that is the devil's beating his wife. <laughs> <laughs> devil's beating his wife. Yeah. Yeah, because that does explain the weather here sometimes. Like, it'll be, like, a blue sky, and it'll still be raining, and you're like, how? Yeah. <laughs> no... Try having that when you live in a landlocked state where literally it has been sunny and all of a sudden it's pouring rain, not a cloud in the sky. That's how you get flash floods, son. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, I think uh, one of the things a GM should pay attention to, especially in a nautical campaign versus a landlocked campaign, is in a nautical, the weather has a more of a viable play as an antagonist. Yeah. Oh, if you're fighting a storm god as the overarching villain. Oh, jeez. Oh god, that would be. Or just Screw like, it! I'm going back to port. Don't don't piss off the god of the sea because uh, you're in his domain. Well, actually, it was really funny too because we did one game and we had to go across a waterway. You know, it was basically uh, us going across a size of about the Indian Ocean. You know, from one uh, area to the next. And I get on board the boat, and the first thing I do is I reach into my satchel and I get five of the shiniest gold coins I can. Uh huh. And I nail one to the... No, and I throw them into the, off into the harbor. Oh, okay. The five shiniest gold coins I have on my person, I throw into the harbor. And the GM just looks at me and he goes, oh, you're trying to, you know, bribe the sea god? And I'm like, no, I'm paying respect. This is tradition according to the book. Huh, okay. You know? yeah. it, it, was, it was. According to the book, that particular god, the, the ocean god, if it was like your first time uh, traveling in the ocean and you wanted good luck to go on your way without interruption, you know... The, because apparently the sea god was kind of like a frat boy. Yeah. He would fuck with you and haze you if you didn't pay him the proper respect. But if you paid him respect, he'd give you a pat on the back and be like, okay, welcome to college kind of guy. Yeah. So I threw five gold coins in the harbor, and he's like, oh, you're trying to bribe the sea god. And I'm like, no, according to the book right here, you know, if you pay respect to the sea god, he's more likely to leave you alone. Especially if it's your first time. Yeah. yeah. And I'm a dirt wizard. <laughs> okay. <laughs> It's his first time. He'll be gentle. It's my first time. I want to be, you know, gentle. So it's actually kind of funny because there are, especially when it comes to the ocean, a lot more superstitions, superstitions and rituals than in a land campaign too. Honestly, God, just go to your nearest, um, <laughs> uh, you know, old school pub. You'll probably find a sailor. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, and then beyond that, there's so many things with about your probably, boat, renaming it, naming it after a woman, having a woman on boat, depending on the campaign. See, that's what. Don't bring a woman on the boat. That's just bad luck to begin with. Well, there's so many things when it comes to the boats. Though. Okay, I mean, well, there's three mathematical outliers of that. Three women were pirates, and they managed not to sink their boat immediately. Well, <laughs> immediately. There's the caveat. But, uh... 
Yeah, but no, uh, and yeah, I know we started with boats, but we kind of gloss over getting everything else. But knowing how your boat is working isn't super mandatory, but at least being able to flub your way through the lines. But there's so many intricacies in what to do with a boat. A boat is a machine like any other, and it has a personality like any machine does. Yeah. And it's different from every other exact version of it. She may list lazily to the left, and she may be just like a rock-solid girl. You don't know. you got to learn these things. It's kind of like when you're playing a space campaign, you know? Like, the Millennium Falcon flies differently than an X-Wing. Yeah, exactly. They they all have their own different uh, gimmicks and traits. And the same goes when you're on the sea. A different boat has a different way of uh, floating than another one. Oh, right. shit, I just had a random thought. All right, random. All right, I'm going to be the captain of my pirate crew in a campaign. Okay. And I'm going to specialize specifically in ambushing other merchant vessels. And I'm going to name my ship the SS Salty Surprise. No, no, I think the SS Salty Surprise would be if you're playing a Fuda. <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, it's like an anime BESM-style game. You play a pirate captain, and you're like, this is the Salty Surprise. Exactly. Zip thud. <laughs> Get, yeah. get hit by my bob stay. <laughs> but there's all kinds of fun things to do with, with just the ships besides giving them funny names. I'm sorry, I just it, had to do that one. The funnier you are, the more the sea god may like you. But you or know, the more he may hate you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the sea god is trying to run a serious campaign, you fucks. <laughs> Screw it. It's now raining your ship, Lollipop. Exactly. This is how you get a shark. You're fighting a water spout. (laughs) You're you're fighting a water spout with a shark needle on top. Exactly. You have angered the sea god. And the kraken swallows all of you. Yep. Yep. But but yeah, like knowing what kind of ship to use, like you're not gonna take a fucking grand galleon and run it with four party members and a GMPC. No, it's impossible. You're gonna need a crew or to rent the ship. But you can get a small ship, like a small yacht or a small, like... Yeah, a skiff or sailboat. Yeah, small things like that where you guys can run it and be all stealthy and shit. But, you know, then your characters need to know what they're doing. So giving them profession sailor, profession, you know, boat craftsman, something. Yeah, especially if they're on deck. I'm thinking, you know, the best uh, visual that I can come up with of what it's like to be on a sailboat and you're trying to do something like right bucking now, is look at the way Kevin Costner was going all over his catamaran in Waterworld. Yeah. You know, he's yanking on this rope, tying that one off, loosening Putting another, more weight in another spot. Putting more weight, yeah. If you're a four-man party with a GM NPC or something like that, that's basically what your life is on the boat when can it I, comes time to do shit. Can I add something to that? There's a reason why we have so many goddamn sea shanties, because it's like, you need something to, you know... And not only yeah, that, you need something. for entertainment, but you can also use that up. to set a rhythm. Exactly, exactly. Because yeah. if, if you get the whole boat singing a song, everyone knows what rhythm to go by. Because it's the same thing. You don't want everyone on the left side of the ship. You gotta know yeah. when you know when to be on the right side. You gotta know what the different calls mean, what the different, you know, good luck, bad luck. Because you don't want to be way. like on Master Yo. and Commander, where the guy's trying to hunt a fucking bird and ends up shooting the fucking doctor. Yeah. <laughs> the only medical professional they have, and he shoots him because he's trying to shoot a bird. Yeah. Uh, strangely enough, too, and it just is weird because it heralds back to the last episode we did. Uh, when it comes to equipment, there's different equipment you're going to have on ship. And, of course, when it comes to inventory management, everything stowed down in the cargo bay is the party's responsibility. Mm-hmm. If you're going, and, and it's weird, too, because uh, one thing I see in games, and I'm, I'm guilty of this as well, because usually it's one of those glossed over items we don't really give a rat's ass about. But we're like, okay, it's going to be a four-week journey from this point to this point, so we're going to buy four weeks' worth of rations. They never buy extra. So you always wind up there the the one day that everybody's just eating dry flour out of a barrel. Oh, God, yeah. You know, it's like nobody ever buys, you know, one or two extra barrels. And when you wind up lost at sea, you will be thankful as hell that you bought extra supplies. Or you lose the wind and... For some reason, your druid or caster can't summon a wind. Yeah, your druid's not high enough and level for gust of wind, and it's a calm day at sea. You're drifting. Fresh water. (laughs) Yeah, fresh water. That too. Fresh water is worth more than its weight in gold. Decanter of endless water is awesome. Decanter of endless water is your friend. Yeah. 
just hold it right up to your mouth and just. Or if you are running more of a dwarven campaign, build a onboard water distillation system. Yeah. I love Ooh. how dwarves are always monoed into tech. Yeah, yeah, you know. Or what you gnomes. Could, yeah. You know what or you could do is make a like short a... human with a beard. <laughs> yeah, you can make if you're uh, if you got dwarves or gnomes, you could always do like a steamboat. Exactly. Those don't do well on high seas. No, they don't. Okay. But it'd be great for a river campaign. Yeah, river exactly. pirates were a thing. Yeah. And knowing different terrains you can have in a nautical campaign, too, because there's the swampy bogs right along the coast, which is what breaks up the waves so that the uh, shore doesn't erode away. Yeah. You can go and end up on little fucking paddle boats through that, where you can hide yourself or have a secret pirate city. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah you can be a pirate of Saskatchewan stealing all the hay and grain. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could have yeah. desert islands, jungle islands, volcanic issues. There's all kinds of fun stuff you can have besides just, oh, there's port towns everywhere. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, like, or even like a little, uh, you know, jetties, sandbars, mm-hmm. that sort of shit. You can totally get in that. Like, each campaign that you run, or each chapter of the story can be different. Like you said, you can go to, like, a tropical island, do the classical, they're going to throw a virgin into the volcano thing one session, and then another... You can go on a total Tomb Raider adventure where they go into some ancient ruins on a forgotten island. Mm-hmm. You know, it could be a treasure run, uh, then followed by a port town uh, adventure, political adventure, yeah. or even a port town robbery caper. Absolutely. Or even you know, it could be like um, almost like a mob thing. You know, it's, it's oh, like yeah. like a real uh, shady port town, but it's run by all the local pirate lords. You know, mm-hmm. it's, yeah, Tortuga. <laughs> Yeah, tort- that's exactly what I was actually thinking. It was like or Tortuga. Or if you're in the, uh, was that the Indian Ocean? That would be uh, Britan- or Libertania over there on uh, Madagascar. Yeah, yeah. As far as, you know, the, the standard fare of other games go, however, though... Bring rum. Red rum. Red rum. It's going to be a lot harder to become, you know, the Baron or Countess or Duke or Earl of anything when you're in a pirate campaign. I will become King of the Pirates. You can still become a Corsair. Well, there's different classifications of pirates if you're going with that route. You could be a Corsair, you could be a privateer, or you could be a straight-up pirate. Or you could be the Admiral of your own private fleet. Well, that takes some effort to get to in a lot of levels. True, but if you take leadership and you've got great charisma, you're already going to have a crew at that point. And actually, as a, as far as GM stuff goes, there's some really good books out there, especially for 3.0. Mm-hmm. I dare say even 3.5 Dungeons and Dragons. There's some. Uh, there's like one that I picked up, and it was this really good book. Um, unfortunately, I had to get rid of it due to real life problems. But it had like this entire chapter just on ghost ships. Ooh, what was it called? What was the oh. book called? It was a book about boats that was third party. It was called Book. Okay. <laughs> Dude, this was I, like I was I was gonna look because I've got a giant plethora of like old dragon magazines and shit like that on computer. No, this was a straight up hard copy book that I picked up at a uh, secondhand store, but I had to get rid of due to needing money immediately. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it had, like, an entire chapter on ghost ships and, like, how to really spookify them. Like, you had your typical ship that was just abandoned. Yeah. So when the player characters get on there, it's a, a mystery. You know, like, the captain's log is waterlogged, half-written I'm really kind good. of stuff. And then yeah. you got, or it's like, in a language they don't know. Or, yeah. Or better yet, it's um, half-written, starts out normal, and then it goes into a language no one recognizes. You're like a chthonic fucking... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So got, some Cthulhu shit. They also God, had like really the undead ghost ships. Ghost ships. Uh, there was one of them that was really great. It was uh, all the wood out of the ghost ship was uh, harvested by the undead crew from mm-hmm. ships they've sunk. Nice. So the ship uh, just keeps getting bigger and bigger because it'll go around sinking ships. Yeah. Then the undead will jump in the water, tear apart the ship as it's sinking... And add the pieces of that ship to their own. I like that. So the ship just is this giant monstrosity run by a crew of undead creatures. Or you could go like the So when you see that, it's like, shit, we've got... Get the sails up, we're out of here. Yeah. Or you've got like the classic X-Men where they ended up finding an island of living sentient plants. Mm -hmm. uh, Corcosa, I think, or something like that. And you could run across an island like that, where it's just one giant, you know, plant entity. Yeah. That just, oh, look, I have all this fruit, and there's all these birds. Come and, come and uh, hunt things. Oh, now you're all my uh, fungus zombie things. Shit, yeah. I did one that was a uh, island, and the 
Unfortunately, one of the players in the group is a complete diva, so he ruined it for everybody. I'm sorry. But the island was inhabited solely by a tribe of gnomes. Okay. And they were all cannibals. <laughs> I like Friendliest that. people you'd ever meet. They'd welcome you to their camp. They would feed you a lot of fattening, sweet food. And then when you pass out, they would kill the shit out of you and eat you. Ooh. So, yeah, there's some red flags there that, you know, tip the people off, you know, when the players first arrive. You know, things aren't quite right. Yeah. But if they don't catch that, you know, their character might die in the middle of the night. You know, make a roll. We'll, you know, make a saving throw. Yeah, just initiative, roll for initiative out of nowhere. What's oh, going on? Well, yeah, each island is its own uh, miniature episode in its own right. Yeah, you can run it very episodically. Like, you know, the group arrives at the island, cue the intro music. You know, basically you're playing just a sea track. Right back yep. and I'll tell the tale, a tale of a faithful trip. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, you could even do a Lost in Space on the High Seas, where it's totally yeah. like the Odyssey, where the god of the ocean or the god of storms is fucking with you. And you keep sailing through a fog in between islands or wherever you're going. You keep ending up random places around the ocean. And the, the, the and that's the thing. You keep getting sent into these horrible places because the sea god wants you all to die but can't do it because of some reason. Yeah. Because he can't directly do it. But if you do it to yourself... Or if you're guided to a place that will do it for you. Exactly. So, you know, that could be a fun thing, and there's so many different... Like, we go on and on, but you could go and find all the old pulp fiction books about stuff like this and just look up the nautical things. Well, absolutely. Like, uh, I was actually thinking about that about five, ten minutes ago, that the pulp fiction era of writing yeah. oh, is so a treasure trove of information and inspiration for running a nautical game. Uh, and you know, you know, you got Kong Island kind of stuff going on and one stuff and, you know, the Pulp Fiction era was really big on, because back then the world was not exactly it GPS was fully no. realized at that point. Like, discovering Antarctica was still fairly new. So there was still that sense of wonder that something is still out on the horizon that we haven't discovered yet. So the Pulp era really capitalized on that. Yeah, I, I think, you know, it's... <clears throat> that's kind of the cool thing about nautical campaigns is because... I mean, <laughs> just with sailors, you know, being so superstitious by default, that gives you a lot of room for creativity to come up with, like, your own, you know, little superstitions for, you know, your world building and such. Or even that, like, one of the things, too, is, like you mentioned, superstitions. But, yeah. And a lot of players uh, will just casually disregard superstitions or, at best, play them lip service. Exactly. Like, What I if the superstition is real? Yeah, exactly. Like I mentioned earlier, you know, uh, don't bring a woman on board. That wasn't uh, me just being casually sexist. You know, that's an actual old-school belief. You don't bring a woman on board a ship. That's bad luck. Well, bringing a woman on board a ship is the same uh, kind of... Uh, superstition as opening an umbrella indoors. Yeah, exactly. Or walking under a ladder. Yeah. Breaking yeah. a mirror. Yeah. A, uh, typically, uh, a sailing was not a woman's profession, and they would tend to fuck things up while on ship. That's why you didn't bring a woman on board. It wasn't necessarily that they were bad luck to begin with. It was there that could be fighting over who gets to be with her. Yeah, you yeah. get like twenty sailors on a boat who haven't seen a woman in like six months. Yeah, yeah. She's gonna look like uh, she's gonna look pretty tasty. She's gonna <laughs> ask look... the navy boys we know. Yeah, she's going to look uh-huh. super tasty. And so you're going to have, like, guys fighting over throw her. Throw her in the bed with a captain's daughter. Throw her in the bed with a captain's daughter. Throw her in the bed with a captain's yeah. daughter. Lie in the morning. That's typically why when we see pirate movies, I mean, even the mo- more modern pirate movies, that's why usually when there's a woman on board, she winds up in the captain's cabin because he's protecting her. Exactly. He's not being general, you know, genial and being like, look at all the power I have. He's like, if I put you out on deck... And I'm not out there to keep watch over You'll the guys. You'll see why I call them salty dogs. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, or uh, also, uh, you know, having or, uh, a cat on board is considered good luck. Any mm-hmm. adverse effect. Yeah, well, it's so mainly again, cats kill. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Cats kill mice. You know, yeah. it kills, mice, uh, rats, all that. Yeah. And, and, you know, there's all kinds of other small things about, you know, you always take the uh, ship's biscuits and you hang one in the middle of the galley for good luck and shit. You know. Yeah. Um, there's all those little foibles. I know. I love. I love shit like that. Or, uh, yeah, there's you know, tons of superstitions. But you don't kill seagulls. You don't kill seagulls. I uh, know it's albatross. You don't. An albatross it. flying along is good luck. Okay, yeah, but you don't kill seagulls. Those are reincarnated sailors. 
Nope, there's one single in particular I will kill without fucking hesitation and or remorse. I don't... Was it the one of the Burger King? Nope. Okay. I will kill that single with reckless abandon with absolute prejudice. Yes. Intent to kill, locked in, engage, kill switch, go. And that is Jonathan Livingston Siegel. Why is that? Because he has to die. Okay. It will be my gift to the world. If I find Jonathan Livingston Siegel... I will cut his goddamn head off, put it up his ass sideways, and throw him in the harbor. <laughs> and the harbor from my house is only a mile and a half away, so I can do it. <laughs> yes. He must die. I love sailor superstition. That's fucking great. Yeah, like, the thing about superstitions, too, and like I said, you know, a lot of people gloss over it when they get in the game, but... Like I mentioned, you know, throwing five gold coins in the ocean when I started a game. I was in in game participating in a superstition that was written in the core rules. Yeah. You know, the R O L E playing. I was R O L E playing. You know, the, like the characters could be hiring a crew to go across in a sloop to go somewhere else. The captain says, "Oh well, you know, it's bad luck not to spit in the ocean when he spits in the ocean." And players would be like, "Oh, you know, sailor stuff." Yeah. What happens, though, if they get on board and they don't spit in the ocean like the captain did, and then, like, a storm comes, and the captain just glares at them? Exactly. Or they, they go and remove the, if you're playing, like, a, a more modern-day thing, they remove the unopened cup of noodle soup from the captain, you know, the from the fucking captain's area to go eat it or something. It's like, no, 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 that unopened, uncooked cup of noodle soup was a good luck charm. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's kind of like uh, what you know, like the superstition out of um, what was that Major League? Mm-hmm. We had the guy who was always offering rum and stuff to his uh, idol Jobu, mm-hmm. and the guy was like up your butt Jobu, and he drank the rum, and then he got beamed with a baseball. Yeah, you know, like what <laughs> well, if they I got, got hit in the head with a bat? He got hit in the head, regardless. But I'm just saying that in a sailing game, when you're doing a lot of superstitions, what if somebody has like an altar like that on their boat, and they're like, "Well, up your butt, Sea God." Yeah. And the thing about, you know, because um, I, I was trying to say, or I, what I was going to say is, you know, not every, um, you know, thing has to have a huge consequence. No, but, I guess, but I guess when you think about it, when you're on the high seas, even the smallest thing could potentially have some pretty bad consequences. Yeah, like you leaving your rope coiled wrong. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, it's like, that, that, that's all, you know, because it's like, it, it's not like you can just walk. Or Dead, not taking yeah. care of the animals on ship that you get your food and sustenance from. Yeah, because if they go sick and die, I mean, that's... And then the meat goes bad, too. Yeah, exactly. Then you're SOL. Exactly. Okay, here, here, let me throw a scenario at you, fellas. Um, you have this one player, you know, in your campaign. You're out on the high seas. He's just being a dick about it. Maybe he's being a little gluttonous. And he says, oh, we can just fish. Uh, how, how do you deal with that? Deep sea fishing... Is way different than river fishing, which is different than lake fishing, which is different than just all right. Straight up, fishing. they even with a sailor background, I'd say DC thirty, not undoable, but fucking hard. It, it well, it depends. Uh, like if you guys are actually traveling, and they just go, well, we'll just do some fishing. Casting a line over the side, you are going to be damn lucky to get something. Yeah. You know, even people who have survived out at sea uh, in real life stories have had just a terrible time trying to pull anything out of the water to eat and have had far better luck of just when birds land on their yeah. boat and they kill the bird and drink its blood. Yeah. They have a better chance of surviving from seabirds than they do fish. Because the whole reason fish live out there is to be deep underwater where most above things can't get them. Because all the food stuff grows at the bottom. And yes, there are times fish come up to the surface, and a lot of the time they're getting eaten by whales or something. So you have a bigger problem if there's actually a bunch of fish. Or even that when you watch a nature show and you see, like, from the underwater point of view, like the schools of fish and stuff, they're down about 50 feet. Yeah. If not more. Which is usually why, you know, dedicated fishermen who live, you know, in uh, more tropical regions that we see, when they go out to do their fishing during their early day and stuff, they already have all the supplies and stuff that they require to do this fishing, but they're specifically doing generationally. So they got generations of knowledge to do this stuff to begin with, plus all the supplies, plus all their rigging hits into the water deeper than 50 to 100 feet. Yeah. You know. 
they're not just casting a line over the side and being like, I'm gonna get me a fucking swordfish. Yeah. Yeah. And even then, fighting a swordfish up is a thing. And Well, fighting a tuna up is a thing, too. Yeah, <laughs> if they're like, oh, well, I'm gonna cast a net, or I'm gonna throw out a crab pot. Okay, the boat's gonna continue moving. Yeah, exactly. We're not turning around for a single crab pot. Yeah. You know, it, it's one of those things. Just have someone with good that, They, they also forget how fucking deep that water is. Yeah. Like, the coastal fishermen, the water is deep. But not like, I'm out in the middle of the ocean deep. Well, it's also warmer, too. <clears throat> it is also warmer. Yeah, and it's just, I mean, you think about it, you know, you throw a little wormy on your hook there. Throw that out. Now, imagine that tiny little worm on that tiny little hook about yay big in just a void of blue. Yeah, I mean, where's that? You think a fish is gonna see that and go, yeah, right? You know, it's like I got more down here. <laughs> yeah, the fish has way more the deeper down he goes, and plus, when you're out fishing, you have no idea what you're going to dredge up. Uh, yeah, exactly. And yeah. again, you can play that into your superstition. You know, maybe it's uh, yeah, I don't know, just BS something. The captain doesn't like you know uh, open sea fishing as a you know uh, for whatever reason. It's bad know? luck. It's bad luck. Yeah, like the ch- the chances of you getting a salmon is like nigh fucking cosmically impossible uh, from the ocean, but really, I mean, you'd have to hit so fucking deep. Yeah. If, if somebody says, oh, I'm gonna fish, it's like, alright, well, you're gonna starve. All the real world data to such <clears> things <throat> logically say that for an unprepared person, or even a prepared person, just casting a line over the side isn't really gonna do much. Yeah. And even the people like, say in Florida who have, um, you know, their personal yachts that, you know, can have up to four to ten people on them at any time. Fucking Floridians. Fucking Floridians. Do we have a round of applause for the Floridians? If you ever watch, when they're out fishing, how many fucking reels do they have off the back of their boat? Yeah. As many as they can. As many as they can. They are increasing the odds that they're going to catch something, and if you're just one player on a boat, you just... And they're in shallow water. You have a modern fishing rod. You have an ancient fishing rod, or even if you're casting a net, it's a bunch of knotted ropes in a specific pattern at the end of a really big rope. Yeah. And even whalers, you know, when uh, you're in a in real life, or even a nautical campaign, you have to track that whale. You have to first fight, figure out where the fuck it is. Then you have to track it. Then you have to wait for it to come up to air, for air. Yeah. And then you have to just mollywop it. Yeah. And pray to God. Whaling was a deadly profession for people because the whale could take out the boat. Yeah. Uh, see, Moby Dick. <laughs> yeah, you had to hit it fast and you had to hit it hard. Yeah, I mean, it's not like you could just do that from the main boat either. You had to send out the tiny little whaling dinghies, you know, with mm-hmm. guys in because them. Because you didn't want to risk your big boat getting destroyed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then, you know, you also had to take some uh, buckets so you could, you know, keep the uh, fucking ropes from yeah. setting the boat ablaze. The best... For a, for a nautical campaign, if I was uh, a, a player in it, the best way I would figure to survive would be load enough provisions on board before we leave dock. And if we're out at sea and I decide I want some seafood, is to drop a net at minimum of 200 feet down below the surface and drag net all day long. Yeah. Or uh, just catch a bunch of fish before, or at least try and catch them fish before you go out too far, yeah. and then just salt it, salt it, salt it. <laughs> yeah, while we're still in the basically the shallower water. Yeah. Because once we hit, you know, the really deep water, fishing becomes kind of a moot point. Yeah. But here's a way to make that campaign where you're out in the middle of the ocean a bit more interesting. What do you got? With a uh, sub-aquatic game where you are actually mm. in the water. Say you get, you oh, know... Fishing's no problem then. I'm a merman. I'll just chase it down. I'm going to ride my swordfish. <laughs> I'll take out my hunting dogfish with me. Yeah. <laughs> Have a bunch of barracudas on a leash. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, boys. A bunch of barracudas on a leash. <laughs> exactly. But no, I mean, that that's another fun thing people have done where it's like, oh, well, you've been conscripted by this, you know, person to meet here at the shoreline, and oh, they give you an amulet, and now you can breathe underwater for a couple hours a day. Yeah. And then once you get down there, there's rooms that are full, full of bubbled air that, you know, is good to breathe. Strangely enough, underwater campaigns don't tend to have much favor in their area. Yeah. I, I don't know whether They're or not... hard to run. 
Well, they're hard to run, even if you have modern stuff where you've got like scuba gear and all that stuff. They're not overly well. Yeah. I think one of the, the differences is when you're doing a nautical campaign, you're playing on a horizontal plane. You've got the x-axis and the y-axis. When you're on a land campaign, same difference. Even when you're doing airships, most of the stuff you're paying attention to is the X, Y axis, and maybe the lower half of the Z axis. When you're in a water campaign... You've got 360 every direction. You have 360 every direction. And I can just see combat being a complete clusterfuck, because nothing yeah. is on an even plane. And from a non-combat perspective, I mean, if you're going to do like a, you know, underwater city sort of deal, you know, kind of like a Lost City of Atlantis sort of mm -hmm. shit. I mean, the second you put like a bubble of breathable air around anything, I mean, you might as well just be playing on land. I mean, really, you know. Well, so that would be for part of the campaign. It's just like how, oh, we have this uh, area in the volcano that we yeah. can just exist in for the next eight hours thanks to the spell. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I mean, it's just one of those things to get you out of the deep, dark, cold water Yeah. for a for a few hours to rest regularly. And for some reason, um, I don't know if this is me as far as logic goes, uh, science, reason, um, you know, is, is that weird? So, the thing that makes science fiction, like, really awesome is the ability to disengage from reality. Mm -hmm. You know, to, to hit that comfortable point, like when you're watching Aliens. Maybe there are xenomorphs out there or something like xenomorphs. It's that plausible deniability that yeah. you know something like that could exist in the far future we could discover something like this and it'd be fucking horrific you know mm -hmm. we can disconnect from reality but when we get into ocean campaigns and we're underwater like like the the aquatic elves have low light vision and dark vision up to like 30 feet mm -hmm. and i'm like how is this supposed to help me if i'm in the abyss yeah I am an aquatic elf. I can, and of course, they don't have anything in there that says what pressures they can survive. So, is a sea elf only able to exist at a maximum of 163 uh, feet, feet underwater? Before you know, then are there deep sea elves that are all like they they look like fucking was it those uh, anglerfishes? Yeah, yeah, oh, that'd be terrifying. I mean, the, the, the further <laughs> down you get in the ocean, the creepier shit gets. You know, that's true. Yeah. You know, they, they leave a lot of this stuff out, like some of the capabilities and stuff they have for the ocean-dwelling races just don't seem to have that power level to survive in that sort of environment, to my purview. Here's a... Uh, oh, I was going to say, here's a real subnautic uh, horror campaign for you. Deep-sea elves, but but on top of that, you also make them prone to uh, deep-sea gigantism. So you're just floating around in the abyss with these colossal anglerfish deep-sea elves. Oh, that would be terrifying. Well, how do they communicate? What's that? How do they communicate? Um, Sound waves don't travel underwater very well. <sighs> no, I wouldn't say that, because you can hear whale song from a long You can way hear out. whale song, but sea elves do not have monkey lips. Yes, that is a real word for it. Huh. It's, uh, it's basically what they call the vocal cords for uh, whales. Interesting. It's, uh, it's what makes that the, uh, deep uh, bass mm. resonance. That yeah. yeah, they call them monkey lips, which is really weird. But they look oh. kind of like monkey lips. Interesting. It's, it's a really yeah. weird organ to look at when you're like watching science channels and shit. Yeah. <clears throat> but, I think that'd be even but, creepier. But underwater, I mean, like, yeah. how does a forward scout sea elf communicate back in some meaningful way if they are near the twilight... Uh, level of the ocean to, you know, the people back at camp. They, they can't wave a torch. You say this in a game where we have giant krakens and dragons and gods of the sea. I, I say this, yes, when we have those things, but the very root basics, the root basics mm -hmm. of communication and survival and cohesiveness in a group don't seem to be sub uh, supported. I just think it'd be funny to, like, you know, um, you know, say have your CLs or C entities, whatever, you know, how they communicate underwater sounds drastically different how they communicate above water. So, like, you bring one above, you know, onto your ship to get yeah. some info or something or to interrogate them. Or they have to be in a reverse yeah. bell where it's just full of water and yeah. they're, like, doing more like, code. Alright, so what's your name? And then they just do this blood-curdling screeching. Oh, I was just thinking, you, you know, <laughs> you try to jump a CL and they're like, you are our only hope! Yeah. Yeah, it's like, hey, this is my friend. His name is pronounced. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the only way they communicate with service dwellers is fucking a message in a bottle. <laughs> Reverse message in a bottle. That's great. So I'm thinking, um, if I was to do a, a campaign in the ocean, a, a completely 
subnautical oh, campaign, <laughs> it would have to be high magic. Oh yeah, yeah. have to. Oh, yeah, I mean, you already have sentient beings in the sea. That's gonna have to be a high magic campaign. Yeah. Under the sea. Like like the uh, the background of the story. Like if I was to write this stuff up, like right now, just mm-hmm. off the top of my head, yeah. is there was an ancient cataclysm on land. Mm-hmm. You know, human civilization and elven civilization and all the other ones built themselves back up. But it explains why the dwarves went under mountain. Yeah. You know, there was a cataclysm. The dwarves said, fuck it, we're out, and decided to burrow into the ground. The other races, you know, like the humans moved down to, like, the more tropical regions. The elves segregated themselves to, like, the, the far-off forests and calderas that were mm-hmm. uh, defensible in a, um, like, a very stable geosynchronous, not geosynchronous, a very stable environment because the walls of a caldera are pretty hot, tall, you know, so they'll be able to resist some of the outside forces of, like, high winds and stuff. Just like the geography do. They, the they were in, like, veils and stuff where it's ringed by mountains. Exactly. Yeah. And, like, some of the groups decided, you know, screw it. Like, the, the, the more powerful wizard kingdom said, well, we'll go underwater where the cataclysm can't reach us. So they went under there and took their magic with them and adapted. That way, as a GM, when I introduced this to the players, I'm like, yes, yeah, so this is going to be a high magic campaign, so... Uh, ever-burning items that give off light are going to be very common, especially like in the <laughs> settlements that are underwater. The buildings are going to be built more like... Because one of the things that bugs me, especially like in Little Mermaid and stuff like that, is they always show like the castles and stuff look like the land-based ones. But for creatures that swim in 360 different directions. So, wouldn't it look more like a hive? Yeah. yeah, like something insectile, where like different tubes and tunnels or hallways. Where and stuff. basically it would look like the um, the barrier reefs do, where literally it's an apartment building where you have access to everything. You don't need stairs; you just float to it. Exactly. Like, wouldn't the bedrooms be upside down because when you fall asleep, you just aimlessly float and just like float up towards the ceiling? Or would they be? You put a mattress on either side. You know, it could just be like a little uh, screensaver in your underwater apartment. Just- yeah, like a little screensaver, you just boop boop between the two. Or they're BDSM and they gotta, you know, fasten themselves down like the astronauts do in space. You know, just because you said it. You said yeah, that. maybe they fasten themselves in place because, you know, underwater currents are a thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you don't want to wake up, you know, 50 miles away from home going, God damn it, I drifted out of my house. Well, no, not again. Constant <laughs> oxygenation if you actually closed an area off. Yeah, like, definitely. You know, there's some things that would be, uh, really needs to be accessible, I mean, like, especially for the visual stuff and defense. Uh, an underwater campaign would be horrifying yeah. to try to create a dungeon for that is not on the standard plane as we know it. It would be completely non-Euclidean. See, this is why video gamers always hate the water level. They always oh, hate yeah. the water temple. I always love the water levels. You know, and also on that note, because you said bring a lot of ever-burning or ever-bright items, I think Mexico may have just accidentally made one. <laughs> they already got their campaign underway. <laughs> they already got their campaign underway. They're LARP. Yeah. yeah, they're LARPing. <laughs> they're LARP. It's the pre-game LARP. We, you know, since we can do it for Floridians, can we do a round of applause for Mexico? No. Come on. It's- no! No! He's forcefully beating him off. Yeah. He is. Uh, but no, my brain is still trapped in that spot, that, that abyss of the uh, subnautical, of how would I create a subnautical campaign that would work? Yeah. Well, it's a challenge. I now challenge you. Oh, shit. Let me get in on, in on that campaign. That is, that I is will play through it. That is a challenge because normal talking does not work. No? Right. Well, at that point, we already <laughs> talked about having the uh, lure fish, right? Well, how do you write? Okay, like, again, if this is an ancient civilization, like I introduced yeah. a game in an ancient civilization, went under to sea to survive. So we got aquatic elves now because they went down there to survive. But they're magic users, and magic users are notorious for having libraries. Mm-hmm. That means paper and writing and all this stuff becomes... We oh. go back to form and you go with stone tablets. Yeah. For what little writing they would have, they would transcribe. They would write on the walls of everything. Yeah, they probably wouldn't have a written language to begin with, honestly. And they, they would they be would. using what little they had in yeah. written language would be the old stuff that survived that was written in stone. Yeah. And yeah. then they would probably communicate, like we were already talking about, for a deep, like a Marianas Trench-style deep. It would probably be uh, bioluminescent flashing. they flash different uh, lights across her body. They'd have all these little nodes on them where it just fucking, you know... Or some sort of thing. way to tap on things with yeah. uh, rocks, not, not not as Morse code, 
but to alter the nearby water pressure momentarily. Mm -hmm. Alright. <clears throat> kind of like some sort of bass rhythm underwater. See, now this makes it makes me think of like elithids being a much bigger problem for them because they're, they're squid-looking things. There's yeah. got to be an aquatic equivalent where it's literally just like the vampire squid but more badass, which is hard to do because they're fucking badass. Yeah. And it just... It, it totally looks like a person is doing the fucking light display to say, come here, I need help, I'm trapped, or I'm I'm being threatened, I have something to tell you. And then you get close, and then it just unravels, and it's a giant vampire squid with the fucking blanket thing. Yeah. Just engulfs you. There's actually some really terrifying things in the water. There was a guy who found... Uh, he was a, a, a diver, and he managed to catch... I think he's got like one of the only photographs in existence of a particular breed of squid... But they do, they bioluminesce when they're on the hunt. Mm -hmm. And they didn't know what the bioluminesce was because these squid are so fucking rare. Yeah. And they damn near didn't make it out of the water in time. They almost got dragged down and eaten. Huh. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, the, the vampire squid thing is totally legit and 100% real. Yeah, that would be a regular enemy you could throw at these people. Or like a stargazer. Those things are fucking terrible. Oh, yeah. Or, or, you know, you just have these giant squid. Yeah. Or other giant things that are just fighting underwater. I mean, it's really fucking open. And I know there's... You don't really need giant too well, many I'm, things. I'm I mean, saying... Like, what about that weird fucking jellyfish? It's nothing more than a giant floating membrane. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's almost jellyfish. Out of the no, no, this one is like... A, it looks like a bed sheet floating through the water. Yeah. And if something swims into it, it just wraps around it. Yeah. And devours it that way, then unfurls again, and just continues floating. Yep. It, it has its, its shape is bed sheet. Yeah. Underwater bed sheet made of skin. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I'm just thinking of a sea elf bard now. <laughs> that means yeah, some of them are doing a light show with fan, uh, giant shell fans. <laughs> Comes on land. Let me sing you the song of my people. Make <laughs> <laughs> it stop. Yeah, an underwater bard would definitely be really entertaining because, you know... Sorry about your crash symbols, but they suck down here. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's a good thing my bard's a mime. <laughs> Gonna play the electric triangle down my, here. My bard's performance style is orator. <laughs> <laughs> You're underwater, dumbass. <laughs> Speak with fish. <laughs> All everybody sees is your fucking gills flipping around, dude. What the fuck? Yeah. Or you do the, like, the light, the oh. bioluminescent wrong, and the king is like... What the hell did you just say about my daughter? <laughs> I definitely think, though, a subnautical campaign would... It would be hard. I mean, a lot of books yeah. have been written on this, but I've never heard anybody talk about their subnautical campaign. And if there's a listener out there who's had one that's good, go ahead, let me know, because I've never heard of one. Yeah, that'd be some really interesting feedback to get on this one. It'd be interesting to get feedback, period. But this one in particular... Well, even super... then, you, you think about it. I mean, like you're saying, they're magic users. Yeah. yeah. The spell message does what a psychic representation of a what a hundred something words, something like that. Words? Yeah, and it can send it up to uh, it's a hundred feet plus twenty five for each level. Yes, but some spells would be completely negated, like fireball. Yeah. Whisper. Mm -hmm. Expedious retreat would be hilarious. Featherfall. Featherfall. Mm -hmm. And then you know, entangle would be even worse. There's a uh, yeah, especially depending on where you're at. Oh, yeah. But don't bring, you have a, also don't bring the, a Japanese uh, girls on your campaign. You also have the pressure variable to worry about. Mm -hmm. Not just lighting, sound, uh, visual, or any of that, but you got pressure. Like, a bowling ball at the bottom of the Marianas Trench will get fucking annihilated. Yeah. You guys ever heard of Delta P? You know, where it's like, you know, something the size of us gets sucked through a hole the size of the pop guard here, and there's just, you're fucked. There is no nothing you can do about it. Yeah. That's why under, that, don't do underwater welding, kids. Just don't do it. <laughs> the money isn't worth it. Yeah, there's uh like there was one where the you guy can. was like on the submarine. Uh, it was one of those like super deep sea fit, uh, ones. Yeah. And they're going through, you know, they're talking about it like, oh yeah, we're at this uh, elevation underwater, blah blah blah, going on about the console, and you hear a snap, and the guy just freezes up, goes white as a goddamn ghost, and looks over at the window. And the outer window is the one that cracked. Yeah. Because he had the outer window and the inner window. And it was the outer that started to crack. And he's just like, um... Up, 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 up. We're going to surface now. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> but yeah, like, you got to worry about the pressure. I mean, like, yeah, skin divers can get away with what they do. 
because uh, you know the human body responds to pressures strangely when you inhale and just dive. Mm-hmm. Plus, they spend a lot of time practicing that. However, the well, deepest I think a person can go with scuba gear is 163 feet before they have to elevate slowly. Well, okay, so What's that for the bends, it's even worse than that because then for the next like two days, you cannot travel by air if you've gone diving. Yeah, and because plus, there was a story of a bunch of guys who were diving at this lake and they got one last dive in before they had to leave. Then they hopped in this little private plane to take off. And they died when they got to altitude to fly out of there. Jesus. And crashed into a nearby fucking mountain. Yep. <laughs> because there's so much to do with that. But again, this is a fantasy world when I, where I can cast Resurrection. True. Yeah. This is, it, they, it is if a there's a bunch world. of magic people that went down underwater because it would be safer, I'm sure they have all that where literally they are just flowing magic. Everyone's a fucking Alright, fine. Argue your case. Give me a case. For Don't just say magic. Anymore? Don't just say magic. Give me a case. For specifically... I have been ranting on for about 30 minutes now. Give me a case. You've got plenty of material to fire back at me. Okay, as far as the underwater communication, again, we have spells such as messages. Psychic messages of X amount of words that they could communicate to each other. Obviously, it would end up in psionic, something you hate. Now, when we get onto the whole pressure stuff, there's a whole bunch of those uh, endure elements and stuff that get you close... But you probably have to go for beefed up spells like that. If we're going that they're an ancient civilization, they could end up not living at the bottom of the Marianas Trench, but living on shoals. It kind of like how we live on continents where the deeper water is like the ocean to us. Yeah. So they would live a few hundred feet deep, but far away from the shores. Just like in the uh, Atlantic ridges and all the places in the Pacific that are close to the surface, but not at the surface. So it wouldn't be Mariana's deep levels. They would still be above the, um, what was that, the, the photon layer where everything goes black. So they, they would be above that, but that would restrict their area. Yeah. And yes, the adventuring around in 360 every direction would be harder to do for making a campaign, but as far as making it viable for things to exist down there, and you don't have to go, oh, well, it's, you know, humans that went down there. It could just be, oh, look, these are the shark people. Yeah. They're, they're sharks that, you know, changed into people and beings. So they're already adapted to those levels. Their communication systems are different at that point. But if you're trying to take surface people and put them underwater, you would require high magic and a whole bunch of spells that they've been using forever and taught to everybody how to use. So they are a small group of super magical fuckers. Yeah. Otherwise, you go with sentient sea creatures that end up living like that. You have mermaids and other sea creatures that already exist that we know are near the shores. You just have them existing at other parts. Now, if we're trying to go full-on scientific, then at that point, you can make it an underwater campaign just to do the whole isolation thing of being stuck in the dungeon. Where now you're stuck in the underwater lab way to go their golden eye. Gotcha. These are the kind of things where you can make this somewhat viable. Now, to do a whole campaign like that, you're better off saying, all right, these are the aquatic races that are already in the game, so we're going to play those. I'm a fucking water elemental. You barely know I'm there. You know, I'm fucking a plant uh, creature, but I'm made out of seaweed and fucking rat tails. Yeah. You know, I'm a sentient blowfish. (laughs) Shit like that. Well, we already knew that part. (laughs) Oh. At least I'm not a suckfish. A suckfish. I could say something and the MGTOW community would applaud. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Forever alone. Leave her alone. No, forever alone. Forever alone. Yeah. I'm not forever alone, dude. <laughs> no, I, you said MGTOW community would uh, go and do their thing. That's all I ever think of when someone says MGTOW now, is when they do the forever alone meme, because I think it's hilarious. Because it's the people who can't meme trying to meme. Forever Alone was a meme, but those who are always like, oh, MGTOW, Forever Alone. No, Forever not spending money on a leech. Mm. Anyway, we have hit the one hour mark. Yeah. Yes, we have. And I've said my piece a lot, so you know what? Game Goblin, going back to my crypt. Alright. Let's see, Moniker's final thoughts. Um, 
Final thoughts, don't do it. Your final thoughts, do it! I'm doing it! He's gonna he's gonna blow. Oh! Okay, if you're uh let me just say this. If you as a player are elected the captain of your ship, just make your peace now. You're probably gonna be writing a second character at some point, because Ooh. the captain always goes down with his ship, and you better not be a bitch about it. That's my final thoughts. Goodbye. This is Darth Blasphemous signing off. This little light of mine... I'm gonna make it shine.